Hello and welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group, with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. So please like and subscribe, share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, in our latest episode, we engage in a thought-provoking conversation with Arnaud Latour, CEO and co-founder of Hello Tomorrow, which accelerates radical solutions for human and planetary health by leveraging deep tech ventures. They've built a vast deep tech network, helping startups and companies to develop innovative solutions. Services include innovation consulting, as well as organizing startup competition and acceleration programs. Arnaud, who holds a PhD in industrial economics and a master's in engineering, is driven by his expertise to bridge the gap between deep tech startups, investors, and industry giants to address global challenges. His transition from BCG to leading the charge in deep tech was driven by a desire to make a tangible impact on the world's environmental issues. Tune in to discover the intricacies of funding for innovative deep tech solutions aimed at combating climate change as we discuss to evolving challenges and opportunities in the sector and navigate the complex web of capital resources. Let's uncover together unique insights and challenges that deep tech startups encounter. Join us again a more profound understanding of the deep tech world. In the second part of the show, Arnaud shares with us the importance of finding the right VC, especially for deep tech startups. Also sheds light into how resilience and grit are key pitching to different VCs. Arnaud, welcome to the show. Hi, Arnaud. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. It's been a long road to uh, finally have uh, each other on the show, so... Uh, very excited about uh, looking and hearing more about what you guys are doing with Hello Tomorrow, which is on a mission to accelerate the transfer of deep tech or deep technologies to solve some of the most pressing industrial, environmental, and societal challenges. So welcome to the show. 
Yes, thanks. Uh, well, um, thanks for having me. So that's the traditional on our show. We like to get a 30 second intro about uh, the company, the fund. Uh, so can you give us a 30 second intro about Hello Tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So um, we created Hello Tomorrow 12 years ago, indeed with this mission to uh, use science and entrepreneurship to tackle some of the biggest challenges, uh, starting with healthcare and sustainability in general. So climate uh, definitely uh, included. And, uh, and today uh, we are 40 people in Paris. We, I think we are the biggest uh, deep debt network worldwide with more than 10,000 entrepreneurs, um, more than 800 VCs and, and also a few thousand industry leaders. Uh, we organize big events like Hello Tomorrow Summit uh, to build and animate this community. We also have some newsletters and, and webinars and so on. Uh, we, a bit more recently, five years ago, we also started a consulting activity um, to help uh, governments and, and private companies understand the trends and, and launch new, new projects. And uh, we also have startup programs. And uh, last thing, uh, I'm working on a VC fund. So it's not, uh, you know, ready to deploy capital yet, but um, hopefully it should be, uh, it should be early next year. So much exciting news. So before we uh, we go deeper into uh, Hello Tomorrow, I'd like to get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, your insight about uh, you, Arnaud. I mean, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you do besides supporting uh, all of those deep tech founders and, and pushing forward uh, Hello Tomorrow? I mean, as I always ask, like, who is Arnaud? Um, well, that's okay. It can be a very deep question. So um, I have two daughters. So that's uh, that's all, you know, kind of uh, the, the two other babies that I had uh, after Hello Tomorrow in terms of timing, but not in my heart, of course. Um, I really like also uh, to read like philosophy. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I play a lot of. Uh, I play some rugby. Unfortunately, it was a bit sad. Like the <laughs> we we just uh, lost uh, in the World Cup, but uh, that's it. Um, what else? Uh, and I think I, you know, besides, you know, I'm, I'm excited about technology, deep tech, science, and so on. But uh, I think I'm even more interested in uh, in people, and uh, and that's uh, also what I'm the proudest of. Uh, we said a tomorrow. That's that's the team and the culture that we managed to build. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, in the end, that's that's why I do it more than for the technology itself. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Arnaud, for sharing all of that. So just to Get a little bit of a step back on your uh, previous uh, work life uh, experience uh, prior to the launch of Hello Tomorrow. If you could reflect on maybe one or two pieces of uh, experience that you uh, had that in a way gave you a hatch to uh, to launch uh, Hello Tomorrow. Yeah, sure. I think the most defining moment was when I was doing my PhD. Um, so because I was in a research lab and uh, I was surrounded by scientists uh, creating new crazy stuff, uh, amazing technologies. But uh, so I, I saw that there was a lot of potential to, to solve big problems and, and, and to create businesses. Uh, but, uh, but most of that remained in academia. So um, I think that was the frustration also that led to the creation of Hello Tomorrow. Um, with uh, with Xavier who was was uh, doing his PhD at the same time, and uh, before that, before this PhD, I, I did uh, a master in engineering, so in uh, in food and agriculture, so life science, but more applied to food and agriculture than healthcare. Um, and uh, well, 
I think this is also an important part of why I'm passionate by by science and uh, and, uh, and technology. Um, and uh, also after that, so when I, actually at the very beginning of Health Tomorrow, um, I was uh, a consultant at the, at the Boston Consulting Group. And uh, I think that was quite complementary to the PhD where you really dig deep into one very specific topic. Uh, and BCG, I mean, management consulting, that's the, the total opposite. So you stay at a kind of shallow level, but you see many, many different uh, businesses, uh, uh, sectors, and uh, you learn a lot about uh, business. So that was uh, important both for uh, creating a company, but also to to look at deep tech uh, with a more like also a business angle, not just a tech angle. So if you could like uh, maybe share with the with the audience a little bit about like, um, you know, often uh, guests on the show and the one who uh, has more like this um, sometimes deep tech approach or climate tech uh, approach, what have like sometimes there are specific like aha moment where they said, you know what, uh, instead of like just going a traditional like consulting uh, career or um, working for mm-hmm. like a, a financial, uh, you know, asset manager, why uh, I don't move into uh, this more like uh, clean climate tech uh, in itself. And I know you guys don't do only climate tech, but it's something that is like growing into the in, into your scope. So uh, what is it eventually like your aha moment uh, that you could share with the, uh, with the audience there? Well, to be honest, I, I mean, maybe uh, it would be good for the, for the storytelling, but I've never had a, a real uh, like, aha moment. It's more of always, I mean, I, I think I'm lucky enough to have a job that I find intellectually stimulating. And also, I know that uh, every day that I spend doing my job, it's making the, the world, uh, you know, a bit better. Uh, even if it's not directly with all the people who help. Um, so I think that more uh, it started as a non-profit organization actually. Um, so yeah, I think from from the very beginning, and that's in the DNA of Lotus More. That's uh, that's uh, changing the world with science basically. And uh, and yes, as you said, um, I mean climate, climate tech, it's a big part of it. And actually, deep tech, it's kind of climate tech also by design. Um, I looked at the, we, we just closed a big competition. So we had uh, more than 4,000 uh, startups that applied from all over the world. And um, uh, we did the first selection. And out of the 1,600 uh, that made to the, the first round, um, 45% of them addressed the SDG uh, 13th, so climate so um, a lot of deep tech startups are actually addressing climate change and I think it's true also the other way around because I think a lot of the climate tech startups are actually deep tech because um, CO2 we can do with pure digital uh, as someone CO2 away uh, you actually need to, to really dig into the physical world and, and build solutions that uh, energy and so on and uh, and that's uh, that's what you take is about yeah definitely so 
let's take a, a zoom out and, uh, and a step back at the macro landscape and prior to uh, to this recording uh, we uh, we discussed together and I think like would like to, to look a little bit more about the, the state of uh, deep tech European early stage investment landscape uh, today in the in the private sector. I mean, the challenge and, and opportunity to, to contribute in a way, uh, again, we are on the Tech for Climate podcast here. So we have this uh, more uh, lens on the, the fight against uh, climate change in itself. So maybe you can start by giving the, the audience your at first, I would say, let, let's start by a simple definition of like, what is deep tech? Uh, because deep tech sometimes for uh, for people can be a little bit uh, confusing and then let's go into more uh, the, the investment part of it. So let's start with the, the D-Tech uh, definition that uh, you would give. Yes, uh, I think I always give a different one. Uh, I, I, should, I should learn one by heart, but basically that's, uh, we, we would consider as deep tech um, all the startup that uh, build a product or a service that is built on a, that is based on a, on a significant scientific or engineering uh, advances and uh, it means that they are different than traditional tech startups uh, because i think after two decades of you know pure digital tech has been associated with uh, e-commerce like software as a, as a b2b SaaS and so on um, and uh, and compared to the startups i think deep tech since they have a lot of r&d especially at the beginning uh, they take more time to reach the market. They have also a different risk profile because there is uh, it's it's mostly technology risk. Quite often, you have actually less market risk because uh, they are addressing some some already existing markets, but just replacing the way uh, your energy or materials are produced, for example. Uh, and then there is also less competition risk because. Um, you have the technology edge and the IP that is a, a very efficient uh, barrier to entry. While for traditional startups, you need to fight against competition by injecting lots of capital to fuel the, the growth and, uh, and and to leverage the scale effect and the network effect. And so it's a yeah, different type of risk. Um, and as a consequence, it's also a different way to finance them, a different ecosystem that we need to build. And that's why we are creating a specific ecosystem for deep tech. So now that we uh, we understand a bit better uh, what fall under the uh, umbrella of, of deep tech, let's double click on the deep tech uh, investment landscape. Uh, as we uh, we said, so if you could share with uh, with the audience some you know data points in terms of like sectors and subsectors and and maybe the amount of capital that it represents mm -hmm. as of today. I mean. Who is taking the, the the biggest share of the of the capital and at which stage and maybe why? Yeah. So I did my homework. <laughs> so I, uh, I I looked at the figures. Uh, so basically, there are two sources. Uh, one is kind of looking at uh, at DRoom uh, <clears throat> or CTVC or other data points about generally the amount of uh, of uh, of capital invested in in in, uh, in deep tech and climate tech. Uh, and the other one, it's looking at the number of startups that just apply to our competition, which gives a bit, a bit more like forward-looking view because it's startups just created now. So um, the first, uh, and, and uh, I, I only looked at the one that addressed the SDG uh, 13, so making sure that it's uh, really the intersection of deep tech and, and climate tech. Uh, so that being said, uh, the, the first sector uh, with a broad definition uh, is its energy. So um, broad definition because in energy I include I include batteries, 
that sometimes are in mobility or energy efficiency that sometimes is in building. But uh, with this broad definition, um, there is uh, currently there is around 10 billion uh, euros a year that is invested in, uh, in energy startups. And uh, the, the, the biggest part is, uh, is in battery. Uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I think, the, the subsector that is attracting the most investment. Um, also, nuclear is uh, it's attracting quite a lot of money, and especially recently, it's been uh, it's been uh, increasing uh, quite a lot uh, over the last years. Um, then there is renewable energy. Also, uh, it's a bit older, and um, what's interesting also is to is to see that there is a very different ratio of uh, capital invested and number of startups, meaning that in um, in batteries and, and nuclear you have a ratio approximately of, uh, I mean, it's based on the startups that we see, so it's not the exact numbers, but uh, you can compare them. Uh, it's something like 100 million per startup. Um, uh, and, and again, the, the, there are way more startups than the one we screen, uh, but let's say, uh, okay, it can be 10 times less, but uh, that's still 100 million. And for renewables, it's only five, meaning that there are way more uh, startups in renewable energy uh, compared to uh, capital available than in nuclear or, or batteries. So uh, that, I think that's an interesting information. And uh, when, when you look at investing in a, in a renewable energy startup, it means that there is a lot of other startups doing the same thing, a lot of competition. So uh, the selection must be uh, way more drastic. Um, and then when, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I won't go into too many details, but I think the other important subsectors are energy storage, uh, grid management, uh, hydrogen, and, and energy efficiency. Um, then, uh, so again, transportation, I, I took batteries out. Uh, I put that in energy transition. So there is not much left uh, in this, uh, also uh, uh, sustainable uh, Aviation fuel uh, are also in energy, so we had that there is not much less left in, in deep tech for, for transportation. But so then the second sector would be food and agriculture, and uh, and it's it's also uh, it's also more dynamic, so it's increasing a lot, and uh, the the total funding so it's something more around five billion, so it's still uh, half uh, of of that of energy, but. Uh, but yes, uh, growing quite fast um, with uh, many things around. Yeah, it's uh, can be uh, can be a different way to uh, bring fertilizers or uh, or crop use, land use. Uh, well, there are many many subsectors, but uh, and and also food processing. So not just uh, agriculture, but also also food processing, uh, supply chain, packaging, and so on. Um, then there is construction. So construction, it's around 1 billion uh, a year. And that's increasing faster than food and agriculture. That's, uh, um, and it's, it's mostly uh, around materials. I think materials represent about 50% of, uh, of the number of startups and, and the investment in the, in the construction sector. And and, um, and uh, yes, there is also manufacturing that uh, that's uh, is actually a bit more than construction. Sorry, 
um, but it's uh, everything related to to materials like plastics, uh, metals, so all the materials used for uh, manufacturing, um, and also all the, the you know industry 4.0 and kind of uh, new processes and manufacturing equipment. And uh, in terms of uh, of what is manufactured, actually the the, the very important part is related to uh, textile and, and fashion in general. Uh, and this is also increasing a lot. And then uh, a lot around uh, automotive, aerospace, and uh, and also a paper production. So, um, so that's it for the kind of big, uh, <clears throat> big sectors and subsectors. And and again, uh, it's uh, you know looking not just at what is happening today, but really the the, the evolution. Um, the one that are increasing the most it's uh, it's manufacturing, uh, with uh, plus you know the number of startups that we that we saw applying to our competition, it's increased by uh, 60% in four years. So that's, that's huge. Uh, and uh, there, then there is construction uh, with an, uh, an increase of 44%. Uh, and food and agriculture with an increase of, uh, of uh, 22%. While, uh, while energy, which is the biggest, is actually more, a bit more stable. Mm -hmm. OK. But thank you so much for, for sharing this, uh, I would say, holistic uh, overview and having uh, those data points. I think it's very, uh, very interesting. And uh, you don't find that uh, everywhere. You need to, uh, to do your homework, as you, as you said. But uh, thank you for, uh, and uh, especially relating to uh, what you see with these uh, large samples of uh, more than 4,000 companies that uh, you guys uh, got uh, in, in the application process. So to get a, a deeper understanding of the ecosystem, maybe uh, and understanding this uh, this increase of, of capital and influx in the different sectors. I mean, according to you, what, what are the different type of, of source of capital you have identified? I mean, where are they coming from? Uh, who are the main backers uh, of those early stage uh, tech companies? And, uh, and in a way, how is the, the current uh, capital market around those uh, tech companies organized? So it's, uh, it's very different for each stage. And uh, if you look at what is done really at the research phase, so uh, when it comes to really proving in, in a research lab that, that it works in, in experimental conditions, so more like backing the science risk, here there is no private investors. It's, um, it's ex mostly exclusively uh, research grants. You, you start to have some VCs like uh, SOSV, for example, that also create some research grounds because that's you know getting even earlier access to potential potential startups but i think that's uh, that's very limited so it's mostly uh, you know public grants uh, public research grants then if you look at what is happening just after when the startups get out of the lab and they start to build their, their prototype and, and basically um, it is about financing the technology risks so proving that it works in real conditions here it's a, it's a mix of uh, still many grants, uh, not necessarily research grants, but uh, uh, like the SBIR in the US or the equivalents in, in Europe, um, and also investors. But at the pre-seed stage, in terms of investors, uh, you will see mostly business angels and um, and uh, kind of small, <clears throat> sorry, small regional funds. Uh, Highly, highly linked to universities, to local universities. Um, and uh, um, yeah, not, not so many like big funds that, that maybe have too much 
asset under management and cannot really you know focus on very small checks because they have a lot of capital to deploy um, and then if you look at the the phase of uh, um, kind of not not still at the factory level but yeah it's already proven that it works in in uh, um, in rural in conditions, uh, so it's it's starting. You know, the first uh, pilot phase, uh, it's it's kind of not yet scaling up. Uh, you uh, let's say Series A uh, seed, Series A, then you have uh, you have many uh, bigger VCs. I think that's where you have the most money, um, and uh, and here it's it's mostly private investors. Uh, there is no not much uh, grants anymore, so it's it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, it's mostly equity. Uh, and then I think when it's, uh, when it starts to be quite different from traditional tech startups, it's to finance the scaling up phase. So to finance, uh, especially the, the first uh, pilot factories or the first factories. And here, um, it's usually a mix of, uh, of grants, uh, equity financing, but also non-equity financing like uh, debt. And, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, a bit challenging for, for uh, deep tech companies and, and also climate tech companies, uh, I guess, to, 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 to manage to, to find the right uh, capital stack to, uh, to finance this phase. Um, and then when it's, uh, you know, like just building new factories, but, you know, there is no, no risk anymore uh, because it's been proven uh, already with the first one. Then uh, usual uh, infrastructure. I mean, usual uh, you know, debt, uh, and, and banks are happy to finance this kind of project. They always come at the end. No, I'm kidding. But uh, that's true. And I was speaking with the, on the European Union side as well that uh, there is really this gap at the BC, especially in this uh, current uh, current market, uh, where if the companies is not fast enough for the, the return on the. A traditional uh, VC fund uh, in the timeline that they have, uh, there is sometimes like uh, this value of debt that uh, companies who have been uh, working hard on a very interesting project that can have a, a huge potential uh, still uh, is uh, facing and where uh, it might be interesting to have also grants and public money uh, to support that uh, that chasm that needs to be uh, to be crossed. So in this current market uh, uncertainty, I mean, there's still high inflation rates, uh, interest rates are uh, still way higher than before. Money is not cheap anymore as uh, people were uh, claiming it was uh, in the past. Uh, do you see any trends, um, you know, in emerging in those uh, early stage financing for for deep tech uh, solutions? Well, from what I'm seeing, it's. I mean, there is. I think that's one of the sectors that is the least impacted: deep tech and, and climate tech, and the intersection of both. Actually, I. I look at, that, uh, at a report from the room, and uh, it's actually increasing the, the you know the investment in this uh, this sector. Uh, I think that's because it's it's driven by uh, long-term drivers like well climate change. Uh, it's unfortunately it's not going to stop anytime soon, um, and there is more and more also public money backing backing climate tech and deep tech. So I. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, it's never easy to 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 build a company and, and grow it and, and raise money. But it's I, I, I didn't see in the last month or two years like a 
big impact of, uh, of higher interest rates um, uh, and so on. Um, Okay. So now that we get a, a better understanding of this uh, overall context, uh, maybe let's get a little bit uh, your opinion on this, I would say, like low-hanging fruits and, and long-term financing alternative and opportunities. I mean, do you see like uh, existing alternative to traditional backers uh, that could uh, help to accelerate uh, the movement of like and development of uh, uh, deep tech uh, startups? Mm, I would say probably companies, corporations, either directly or through their CVC. Um, a lot of them are looking at accelerating their own decarbonization roadmap. So they are looking at uh, at investing in uh, in startups. So that that can be, and since they have a strategic interest. They are not so afraid of uh, of uh, you know like long return on investment. Um, so and then there can also be a potential acceleration for the go to market and, uh, and and help uh, de risking the the, uh, the industrialization phase. Uh, on the other hand, they can also be. Uh, I mean, it, it's important to understand what really is their um, <clears throat> their interest. Uh, because usually it's not purely financial interest like like uh, traditional investors they also have strategic interest so uh, it's important to make sure that there is no you know like exclusivity related to the investment or that they don't have too much power to influence the the roadmap to 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 you know to create a, a product that is fitting their needs and maybe not exactly the, the best uh, the best markets um so yes it, it can be tricky but it's uh, it's i think it's a good alternative to let's say more traditional investors, and um, and I was thinking also of family offices uh, because usually that's not the first type of investors one will have in mind, but uh, there are many family offices that uh, invest also directly into startups, and um, and they have different drivers than uh, traditional VCs because traditional VCs they need to exit in. Uh, in in a, in a few years, like between six and, and ten years, let's say, uh, while family offices they they can you know stay in the capital for longer and also uh, depending on the families they can have also a mandate that is not just the return on investment but also the legacy that the family wants to to you know to leave and uh, and because uh, uh, it's their personal money so uh, they they might be also more willing to uh, valorize uh, climate tech uh, deep tech and climate tech than. And uh, some traditional VCs. So to close this uh, this section, uh, I mean, according to you, what are the the major you know constraint or, or roadblock uh, you have seen today to accelerate? Uh, I would say the uh, uh, financing uh, of the deep tech um, companies in itself. I mean, uh, is it like do we need new policies to uh, to push that uh, at the European level? Uh, is it maybe a lack of education on the investors uh, side as well uh, that deep tech is not a, a SaaS uh, you know model uh, and that uh, return can be uh, can be also very uh, very interesting? I mean, what do you what do you see uh, as uh, being at the forefront 
what could be uh, improved or uh, what is mm -hmm. slowing down this uh, this movement? Well, many things, but if we start from the pure investment part, uh, I see two two gaps in the investment value chain. The first one being at the very early stage. So I was, as I was saying, uh, when a startup is, uh, is spinning, spinning out of, of research, um, usually it's business angels and, and, and again, uh, funds that are really related to one or two universities. Uh, but uh, there is not many like big international funds that uh, that uh, cover the let's say the pre-seed stage uh, in deep tech, deep tech climate tech, and that's why actually we we are uh, you know raising our own fund because we we want to to uh, fill this gap. Uh, so good startups they will always fund money, but uh, sometimes they have in their cap table like many business angels like funds related to universities that have some you know also political interest and. Uh, um, so yes, I think there is room for, for let's say, more efficient and professional investors at this stage. Um, and uh, and then the other gap is more, uh, as you were saying, uh, uh, Series B, C to finance uh, the, the scaling up the industrialization phase and, uh, and, the, and the first factories. And here, uh, I know that there are <clears throat> there are some uh, some I mean. All the governments are working on it. I think that's a top priority uh, for them. And um, for example, uh, a few days ago in France, they announced the release of uh, they announced that, that they selected ten companies uh, that they will support uh, to finance their their first uh, factories. And I think another good way to to make the I mean uh, to solve this this problem at this stage is to uh, just change a little bit the I mean make it more attractive for existing investors to finance this stage and that's um, I think what they are doing in the US with the inflation reduction act with the the tax credits that they they create for uh, for startups that uh, that like investment tax credits so it might be even a better way like to just change a little bit the rules of the game and let private investors pick the the, the winners. Um, and maybe we could see more of that uh, in Europe as well. And uh, I mean, then there is uh, many things that could be fixed. Uh, but uh, yes, maybe uh, we don't have time to to go into details. But around, uh, I think around uh, around talents, uh, because deep tech startups uh, need very specific and rare talents. So they need to be to be able to tap into a global talent pool. And uh, as a CEO today, I know how hard it is to hire uh, a foreigner, and uh, that, that shouldn't. I mean, that's. A, I think that's a, that's a big issue. Uh, another problem that we see is uh, the collaboration between startups and, and big companies, because uh, especially in, uh, in deep tech and climate tech, um, usually it's B two B. Usually, uh, they need to fit in existing value chains. So they need to they need to work with big companies, and uh, maybe it's been improving over the last ten years. But uh, I think there is still lots of room for improvement. Uh, and uh, we we always see the same cycle where they they start to uh, try the bad startup models. Eventually, they figure out something that works for them, and then uh, the the key people leave, and then they start again uh, a new cycle. Of, uh, so yes, um, I mean no 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 easy answer here because you cannot decide top down. Uh, it's uh, 
I think it's just slowly improving uh, with more and more people learning. Um, and yes, that's I think I would say that's the. Yeah, I mean there are many more, but uh, I guess that's the the main uh, issues that I have on, have on my mind now. Any question I should have uh, asked you uh, that I didn't for this uh, this part, or that you would like to uh, to add? Um, no, no. I mean, uh, uh, maybe, maybe I can I can invite uh, everybody listening uh, to join us uh, during at, at our next event in in March twenty four. So. Uh, 21st and 22nd in Paris. Uh, so yes, that's uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm using that as an opportunity to invite everybody to join us. But, but that's fantastic. And I think everybody will come, or at least I will be there because I didn't have the chance to uh, to come before. So let's go maybe uh, before that, like into the, the specific of uh, Hello Tomorrow. I mean, can you maybe tell us a little bit about like the, and you already started to uncover that, but like the, the story, the genesis uh, of it. I mean, what was the initial gap that... Uh, you saw and you said, okay, this is like uh, the, the the reason why I'm doing it. Like, uh, help us to to understand a bit, like the uh, the initial story behind that. So after my uh, master in <clears throat> in uh, engineering, I uh, I did a PhD. Um, so I, I was in uh, in academia, and uh, I mean it was a good experience, but. Obviously, it's, it, it was a bit frustrating to see that it was kind of a close, you know, a close place where uh, basically, if we want to to have a good career when you are a researcher, you just need to, you know, go into the best conferences, uh, academic conferences, and you need to to publish your papers in the in the best uh, journals, and that's it. Um, and uh, and uh, we could clearly see that there was a lot of potential from the the, you know, the scientific discoveries to solve some of the big problems that we're facing again, starting with healthcare and and, and climate change. Uh, so that um, that was the the starting point. And uh, at that time, it was also the the boom of uh, of uh, the startup um, in in Europe, and especially in France. Uh, there was the, the there were the first co-working space, the first kind of accelerators. Um, so I think the it was quite obvious that uh, that uh, entrepreneurship and, and startups could be a way a good way to bring science out of the lab and uh, and in the market because the the traditional uh, tech transfer with big companies uh, doing some uh, R and D research with research centers. Uh, was a little bit broken, or at least it was working for um, for their core business, so to improve their current core business. But to do something radically different and disruptive, um, it was not working. So that, that's where I think startups uh, can can really be more efficient because they, you know, they they, they can they can uh, take more risks uh, backed by VCs. They can be way faster. Uh, they are not uh, biased by their uh, by any legacy or, or existing uh, business model and, and business units. Um, so yes, that's that. I think that's and and, uh, and then we looked at also what was going on at the, in the US, and uh, Xavier, so the, the other uh, co-founder of Hello Tomorrow, he, he was doing his PhD uh, between Paris and the MIT, 
so we we looked at what they were doing and uh, and uh, and uh, the first style of competition that we did was actually <clears throat> very uh, similar to what the MIT was doing, uh, basically uh, giving uh, 100,000 euros, not dollars, but uh, 100,000 uh, prize to the best startups. Uh, so we did that in, in Europe. And the first year in 2013, so 10 years ago, we got uh, 1,500 uh, startups uh, So from, from science that applied to the competition. So um, so it, it proved that there were many scientists willing to actually um, take on the journey of, uh, of creating a company and bringing their research uh, to the market and have a real impact. So uh, it, it proved that there was lots of potential and that's, uh, so that's, that's how it started. Then we organized the first uh, event uh, to, to, to create uh, also a community for those people because uh, I think that's the first uh, thing they told us, all those uh, science entrepreneurs that we call deep tech entrepreneurs now, they, they told us like, yes, finally, we, we have a tribe, we have, a, we have our own community because when they were going to startup events with many, you know, like digital startups, they were not feeling that they belong to the same family. And, uh, and I think that's what we created for them, like, a, maybe not a family, but a, a community. So you mentioned uh, family, community, you mentioned the, the competition, uh, you mentioned now that uh, this uh, upcoming uh, uh, capital allocation uh, vehicles that uh, you guys are putting in place. So maybe if you could help us to understand as you really like are uh, on day to day with uh, with those, uh, those founders and, and scientists, I mean, what are the initial challenges that you see that are very specific to deep tech climate tech uh, or deep tech climate tech yeah, founders uh, versus uh, traditional tech founders in itself? And and how do you at Hello Tomorrow try to solve those uh, or support uh, the, the, those founders related to those uh, uh, challenges? Well, I think the, the challenges are connected to the fact that uh, it's highly RNG intensive. So we, we actually um, we actually did some some analysis based on the thousands of applications we had uh, to the, the competition. Um, <clears throat> and we published a, a first report that's called From Tech to Deep Tech in 2017. Um, so I, I, I don't remember exactly all the, the figures, but uh, let's say that uh, the, I think the first challenge, it's the capital intensity. And uh, especially in the first five years, it's like deep tech is actually more capital intensive than traditional tech because it's it's not like you can, you know, ship a first product from, uh, you know, from your garage with a few laptops and, and so on. Um, usually you need some to access some lab equipment, uh, some some pretty expensive stuff, and it's, it takes time as well. So, uh, but the good news is that after those five years, uh, we also did this uh, this analysis that we published uh, in, in 2021. Um, we showed that uh, actually it's less capital intensive, um, more for the growth phase, uh, except when you have you know big factories. But otherwise. Um, you, you have a competitive advantage, so you don't need to burn you know lots of cash to actually grow faster than your competitors because you can become profitable. Basically, you go from the startup 
you know, from a startup to a kind of SME, like like a small enterprise, but that can be profitable once you you, you can ship some some products. Um, so yes, the, the capital intensity at the very beginning in the first years that's the uh, the biggest challenge uh, according to the entrepreneurs themselves uh, because we asked them. The second one was uh, the the time to to market and. Um, Yes, because it's it, again, it takes time uh, with the, the RNG. So uh, it's it kind of connected to the first one actually. Uh, <clears throat> then there is a there is the the technology uh, risk, um, and uh, because again at the at the beginning, uh, usually the the tech startups they have uh, they have a technology that you know that they know what market it can address, but it's been proven to work in only in the lab, in the experimental conditions. And you don't know actually if it will work in real conditions uh, for like a real client in, you know, in the field or in the factory or whatever. Um, so that's an additional risk that um, after two decades of, uh, of uh, you know, digital e-commerce, uh, B2B SaaS, uh, most VCs were not used to take anymore, especially in Europe. Uh, I think that that's what VC come from uh, initially, like backing this kind of risk. But I think they got a bit uh, you know, lazy, and <laughs> and today they are not used to that anymore. Um, so especially ten years ago, it was really challenging for the tech startup to raise money because you know, start, VCs would see like well, it's, it's it's not even working in real conditions. Like you know, go go do some R and D and then come back to see me when it's working. Uh, so obviously today it's it's it's, uh, it's it's not like that anymore. But um, yeah, that's still a, that's still a big challenge. Um, and uh, yeah, then maybe also the talents because I think compared to traditional tech, um, it's a bit more uh, it's a bit more recent. So you don't have that many uh, experienced founders that. Are like repeat founders that are building their second or third deep tech company. Um, you still have many, you know, like scientists building their first companies, trying their CEO role for the first time. So it's uh, so that's uh, that's also a bit tricky. And um, um, yes, and also to recruit some talents. Uh, if you if you create a tech startup, let's say the, for the technology part. You can easily, you know, recruit some some developers. Uh, there are thousands. I mean, yeah, it's 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 almost a community. Uh, while in deep tech, uh, you need very specific skills, so it's much harder to find. So yes, that's. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's the main challenges that uh, those startups are facing that are different from traditional tech startups. Uh, uh, but again, the upside is that once you when with with the IP with the technology you have a very good barrier to entry. Usually, uh, you target uh, a market like I don't know if you if you produce energy, uh, people will buy it. I mean, there is no market risk. It just need to be to be cheap enough to to compete with uh, what is in the market. But uh, um, and uh, and yes, I think there is the reward also of uh, of doing something that actually matters. Uh, and I think all of that. More than compensates the you know the addition the, the 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 challenges and the and the difficulties and and that's why it's actually the fastest growing asset class in VC 
Um, so uh, now I think everybody cares, uh, big companies, governments and, and investors. You mentioned that um, you just uh, closed the application for your your competition, selected uh, already out of those 4,000 applicants, uh, 1,600, if I remember well the, the figures. Uh, looking at that uh, and looking at like the, the portfolio or companies that you have in your network as of today, uh, not in, as direct investment, but more in your, in your network in general, which sectors, according to you, is like uh, the most uh, you know promising or exciting today? Where do you see any any trends in uh, any subcategories of the, uh, the deep tech uh, environment? I mean, you mentioned all the uh, capital allocation in energy, in transportation, stuff like that. But uh, what's coming? What is like uh, helps yeah. to uh, understand a little bit like the, the new trends here? So before I was talking more about the intersection between deep tech and climate tech, but that's actually that's uh, if you look at if you look at deep tech in general, mm -hmm. that's quite similar. So um, I think my my I mean energy is big, but it's kind of it's been out there for a while for a long time. So uh, it, it of course it's very important, but that's not maybe as exciting as uh, I would say. Um, manufacturing so uh, whether it is manufacturing uh, cars or textile like clothes or uh, um, or paper or in general like new materials and manufacturing processes uh, it's it's really increasing a lot um, and it's uh, it's really addressing you know deep challenges uh, around around sustainability and, and, and climate change um, then there is uh, there is construction, so you know, like carbon neutral uh, cement, for example, or materials in in, in general. Um, there is yeah, food and agriculture. That's personally, I'm, uh, I have a background also of, of in, in uh, agronomy, so uh, I, I'm happy to kind of go back to my roots here. Uh, it's also growing uh, really a lot and uh, it can have a big impact also on, on climate change. Uh, and then maybe more in terms of technologies. Um, <clears throat> I think nowadays everybody will tell you that uh, they're excited in, uh, in AI and, and generative AI. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would agree. I find that really exciting, but maybe not for the same applications. So what's uh, in AI, what I'm most interested in is how AI can actually accelerate other technologies, uh, starting with the discovery of new, uh, new chemicals, new molecules. If you think about uh, chemistry, uh, it can be also, if you're interested in healthcare, how it can accelerate the discovery of, uh, of new drugs, uh, because you, basically it allows to go from kind of random, you know, trial and errors to uh, designing the, 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 the designing the molecule using AI and then using also AI to to um, analyze uh, lab data faster. Um, well, I, I won't go into too much details, but uh, yes, I'm quite excited by that. And I think also in general by um, by uh, synthetic biology. Um, I think there is a challenge. I mean, basically that's uh, that's uh, you know to use. Uh, leaving organisms like cells or, or, or parts of the cells to uh, as, as kind of factories to build uh, new uh, new things. 
can be uh, can be uh, fabrics it can be uh, uh, cosmetics it can be uh, well, many things um, there is a challenge to scale because it's uh, it's it's not hard to go from you know the lab to to a huge quantities using uh, synthetic biology and prison fermentation and so on uh, and the challenge of reaching the right cost at scale but it started in healthcare um, where there is no really limit to what we are willing to pay to get a new a new a new drug or a new treatment um, then in some kind of niche markets uh, maybe in some you know, cosmetics and so on it starts to be cost competitive and um, if the learning curves continues, it's, it, it's also expected to, to be competitive in, you know, much more like commodity mass markets, like uh, food, uh, um, maybe energy production. So um, that's, uh, I find that also quite, uh, quite exciting. And, uh, and well, I mean, I could go on, so maybe you, you need to stop me. Uh, but um, I think also in the, in the, uh, semiconductors and, uh, and the kind of advanced computing in general. Um, so uh, everybody is talking about advanced, co uh, about sorry, quantum computing, of course. But I think also there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of companies working on uh, on kind of current uh, semiconductors, but to improve them. Uh, for example, the winner of the the, the uh, startup competition that we run uh, in Japan. So we had a Japanese final. Uh, they are uh, working on semiconductors uh, based on uh, topographic materials uh, that could uh, that could reduce the energy consumptions of uh, of uh, semiconductors, and that's uh, that's also the issue. So, uh, I think there are a lot of uh, exciting uh, innovations also in this field. Thank you so much for uh, unveiling uh, all of that and sharing that uh, with the audience. So, what's next for uh, Hello Tomorrow? Well, um, as I was saying, I'm working on, the, on this fund. So uh, what we want to do is, uh, is invest in the best uh, very early stage companies. So uh, mostly pre-seed um, alongside VCs from our network. Because basically, <clears throat> we see a good, a good part of the, the G-Flow at this very early stage. Uh, we also have a very good network of VCs in deep tech that can lead rounds in pretty much any domain. So we want to, you know, match those and uh, and uh, and uh, co-invest with uh, with the VCs. Uh, so that's the plan. And um, I'm, I'm particularly excited about this very early stage because I think that uh, uh, it's still underlooked by most VCs. And uh, I think if you are very good at underwriting technology risk, so you, if you are very good at understanding it. And, uh, and doing the technology due diligence, you can do a, a, an arbitrage between the kind of high perceived risk and what you are actually able to, to understand and, uh, and, and therefore create a very profitable um, uh, VC business uh, focusing on this, uh, this investment thesis uh, and, uh, and also filling a, a gap and then helping the, the start of the company. So uh, yes, I'm quite excited about this, uh, this new step and uh, some quite experienced investor joined the team uh, one month ago. So I'm working with him to prepare the fundraising. So hopefully we have some good news to share next uh, next year. Uh, and uh, yes, I think that's, in, in the, that's the big uh, new project that we have. And uh, otherwise, again, uh, next year we have uh, our big event in Paris in March 
2024, uh, 20, 20, between yeah, March 20th and, and 22nd. Uh, that's uh, yeah, the, the biggest, the, the, two, the two biggest news I would share. So what's your uh, what's your personal uh, point of view on the on the climate crisis? As I always ask uh, during the show to uh, to our guests here, I mean, uh, what would you say to people who feel uh, you know demoralized by all the already visible consequences of uh, of climate change? I mean, are we doomed? Well, to be honest, I'm I'm uh, I'm really an optimistic. Um, sometimes maybe too much. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, because we need to face uh, the, the, you know, the, the issues. Um, so uh, I think it helps also when you when you're a CEO and you face uh, lots of, <laughs> of of issues all the time. But yeah, concerning climate change, um, I mean, of course, it's. I mean, it's it's very scary, but I'm I'm still quite confident that we, you know, we manage. Um, to find some solutions, but also I hope to unite as a, as a species, maybe um, to face this challenge and uh, uh, some things that cannot be done be when there is no crisis become possible when um, when everything falls apart. So I hope that uh, we will find the inspiration and the strength to actually uh, rise up to the challenge and uh, and uh, come up with new maybe you know global governance models a uh, new way of financing those solutions that uh, that wouldn't be possible if there is there was no crisis uh, so that's uh, that's Kind of what I hold on uh, to 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 stay positive, but um, well, it's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that um, that's not a that's not a big problem. That that's a big problem. That I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more focusing on the you know trying to find solutions and uh, and I'm naturally optimistic, so I'm, I'm I'm not focusing too much on the negative thoughts. But uh, it's 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 not an easy thing, and it depends on the on on, on each person. So uh, I don't know if uh, if this if this is a you know good piece of advice for uh, for other people. But it's definitely your uh, your point of view, and I think uh, you know I have the chance to uh, to interview a lot of people who have uh, this uh, optimistic and uh, in the action uh, point of view, uh, and I think. Uh, the crisis is there. We know it. Uh, how can we, you know, find solution? I think that's, uh, according to me, uh, the best way to uh, to move forward. That's for sure. So, uh, how can the community of uh, listeners, experts, investors, uh, founders uh, listening to the show can uh, help you today? Well, they can help by joining our community so they can even if the, the for the entrepreneurs if, even if the competition is closed they can you know there is always a way to join and become part of the what we call the deep tech pioneers community so that's the, the startup that we select every year and uh, they can also apply when the, the competition is closed um, and uh, it's kind of helping us because the bigger our network uh, the 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 stronger we are uh, all together, so um, so yes, that's uh, you know that's that's helping. Um, 
And then uh, I think for investors also joining our community makes us stronger and, uh, and able to invest uh, together in more in more startups. So yes, joining joining our community and uh, uh, and then uh, uh, in a very in a more pragmatic way, um, we are all, always looking for you know new partners, sponsors for the events. Uh, also happy to work on all those domains like energy, food, agriculture, uh, new materials, manufacturing, to work with, uh, with big corporations that uh, might need some help to understand what's out there, and especially in this kind of hard to, to grasp uh, deep tech ecosystem. So I think, uh, um, and um, yeah, joining our events, um, because the more we are, the stronger we are. Any uh, any question I should have asked you and I didn't uh, for this first part of the of the show? No, no nothing that comes to my mind. <laughs> Thank you so much, Arnaud, for uh, your time, uh, for everything that you do for the deep tech uh, ecosystem. I think uh, tomorrow is a fantastic uh, adventure. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I can't wait to. Uh, to join you guys in uh, in March uh, at the conference, and I encourage everybody to uh, to join as well. Okay, thank you, and have a good day, and uh, see you in March then. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech Footnote podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more climate tech insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And see you next time.